0: Please listen carefully. Hello there, Toppers, and welcome to episode 21 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Today's episode doesn't have an overall theme because it's a Topper suggestion episode. I've gotten in a few requests from some of you, so I put them all together to make one episode that is by Toppers for Toppers. The first two are from Colleen, then we have a few to look at from the AppaGeeks podcast. And we'll wrap up with a suggestion from the Shipping Pod. Now that I've made the introduction, let's see what phrases they've asked me to explore, and break down their origins, history, and more. Alright, the first phrase Colleen suggested is happy accident. Now, in my research for this one, I couldn't find out much about it, other than the definition. Which, by the way, is pretty straightforward. It simply means that something unexpected happened, the accident part, but it brought about something good, the happy part. This is often used to describe inventions that were unintended, but beneficial. Alexander Fleming's discovery of penicillin is one of the most well-known happy accidents. Now, even though I couldn't find out who or when this exact phrase came from, I did find out that it's usually connected to the word serendipity, which means pleasant surprise or fortunate happenstance. Happy accident definitely fits within those meanings. The term serendipity was introduced to the world in 1754 by Horace Walpole, an English art historian, man of letters, and Whig politician. We have his art historian background to thank for this phrase, for he coined it in a letter to a friend named Horace Mann. In this letter, he explained to Mann that he'd made an unexpected discovery about a lost painting. For you history buffs, the painting he was talking about was painted by Giorgio Vasari and was titled Bianca Capello. Walpole came up with the term because of a Persian fairy tale called The Three Princes of Serendip. FYI, Serendip is an old name for Sri Lanka. The princes featured in the title were really good at having happy accidents, as Marpole wrote that they, quote, were always making discoveries, by accidents and sage-city, of things they were not in quest of. End quote. Since they were known for accidentally finding good things, and Marpole had just accidentally discovered something good, he put the idea together to call these happy accidents serendipity. That's all I could find on this one, so let's move on to Colleen's other request, icing on the cake. The meaning of icing on the cake is that something enhances an already good situation. Since most people like cake for its awesome cakiness, but adding icing to it makes it better, it's easy to see why this idiom has become a popular saying. But when did it get its start? The first known printed recipe for confectionery icing was published in 1769 in The Experienced English Housekeeper, by Elizabeth Rayfield, an English author. Now, icing was around before then, which I'll get to in a moment, but it's believed by many that this is when we were getting into the modern version of cakes and icing, and therefore is around when the idiom may have come about. In fact, if we go back to 1609 in the Oxford English Dictionary, we find a definition for the phrase to ice, which meant to coat a cake or other pastry with a confection made of sugar. Sometime between 1609 and 1769, when the first printed recipe showed up, the confection made of sugar began being called icing. We know humans have been making cake-like products since at least the Neolithic period, which ran from around 15200 BC to somewhere between 4500 and 2000 BC. Way back then, the cakes were most likely more like bread, but cake is thought to have been the term used to describe smaller loaves of bread. However, while cakes aren't nearly as new as the toppings we put on them, a form of icing shows up before the Oxford English Dictionary's 1609 definition. In 1494, people started frosting pans, which were a precursor to marzipan. They would use an almond paste and granulated sugar to decorate the little treats. So, humans have been eating some form of cake for a long, long time, and we've been icing sweet treats since at least 1494. Even so, the idiom likely didn't become popular until closer to when the recipe in 1769 was printed. Now, let's move on to our next suggester of the day, the Apple Geeks podcast. What they asked me over at the Apple Geeks podcast was to look at some foreign words that we have appropriated into English usage. They gave two specific examples, kabuki and bokeh. They also said they'd enjoy hearing about other words or phrases we use from other cultures, And the first one that came to my mind was the expression bay, which has a meaning in Dutch that is basically the opposite of how Americans use it. So, let's work through these three, starting with kabuki. Kabuki is a type of Japanese theater that makes use of elaborate makeup and exaggerated gestures and expressions. It was created in 1603 by a woman named Izumo no Okuni. It has been through many changes, such as using all female actors, then all male, Than both genders, but has always been known for being highly stylized. The word kabuki has three kanji, which is a Japanese system of writing that uses Chinese characters. If you read them from left to right, they mean sing, dance, and skill. Because of this, kabuki is sometimes roughly translated as the art of singing and dancing. So, how is this word used in the good old US of A? Well, it's often used to mean something is fake, done only for show, or insincere. It basically is used to say something is metaphorically theatrical, since the word is the name of an actual type of theater, and a dramatic one at that. It's a phrase favored by many politicians, often used to talk about their opponents' insincerity and false promise theatrics. Why did a form of Japanese theater known for making a point become known as a put-down for people making false points? Well, it's because after World War II, Japan had bad relations with, well, almost every other country. So they tried to make amends by sending out their best kabuki troops to entertain the world. They were especially trying to make America fall back in love with the exotic Japan they'd loved for a long time before the war. Unfortunately for Japan, even though many Americans loved kabuki, it did nothing to mend the hurt left over from the war. The continued struggle to get along, combined with the popularity of the dramatic style of kabuki theater, led to the term being used with a negative connotation. Now for the Apogeeks podcast other suggestion, bokeh. Bokeh came to America in a much more straightforward way, and therefore I don't have a lot to share about it. First of all, the Japanese word is actually spelled just B-O-K-E, and we'll get to why the H was added here in a moment. The word means blur or haze, which is why it's used to describe the trend of having purposely blurry areas in pictures. The blur is often around the main subject of the photo, but wherever it is in the picture, it's used to help bring focus to the area framed by the blur. It became popular in America in 1997 when Mike Johnston, the editor of Photo Techniques, commissioned three papers about the technique for his March and April issue of that year. However, to make it easier for Americans to say, he added the H at the end to help emphasize how the word was to be pronounced. And that's all I got for this phrase, so let's move on to the breakdown of bay. I should start this one with the disclaimer that I don't like this saying that much. I can't really put my finger on why, but I think it's because it's so overused right now that the saturation of it in current culture makes it hard to avoid. Now, toppers, if you use "bay," please know that I'm not saying I don't like the people who use the word, I just personally don't like it, and I don't use it. All that being said, I find it hilarious that people have such a love affair with using a word that by using it, they're basically calling their supposed loved ones poop. I know that many Americans likely don't speak Dutch, I know I don't, so they don't know that this common acronym is really a word, and yes, it means poop. When not discussing poop with your Dutch acquaintances, this saying stands for before anyone else or before all else. Some people think it came about as a shortened version of baby or babe, but however it came about, it's technically not an acronym. It's a backronym, which is a word that is turned into an acronym versus initials being turned into a word. The expression "bay" has been around in America since at least 2005, when it was used in many songs. The Before All or Anyone Else acronym didn't start appearing online until at least six years after Bay first appeared on the internet. So whether you want to call someone poop or declare that you love them more than anyone else, just remember that when it comes to language, not everything is what it seems. The last suggestion for today's episode came from The Shipping Pod, and it's colder than a stepmother's kiss. Now, I really struggled to find information on this one, and honestly, I'd never heard it before they sent it to me. I don't know when it got its start, so I'm sorry about that shipping pod and the rest of you toppers, but I can tell you what it means, in case some of you, like me, hadn't heard it before. If something is colder than a stepmother's kiss, it's really cold. The expression comes mainly from fairy tales, where stepmothers were often evil, or at least uncaring. Any kiss received from the uncaring or evil stepmothers were likely just a farce, something for show. Kabuki, I suppose you could say. And the kiss likely had no real emotion behind it. Since people who seem emotionless are often called cold, I touched on this in the Halloween episode a couple weeks ago, this idiom makes a lot of sense. Alright then, toppers, since today is a suggestion episode, I'm not going to do a metaphorical moment or familiar quotations. So, that's a wrap for episode 21. Thank you again for joining me to turn some topper suggested phrases today. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. You can check out my show notes for all of my social media, contact, and sponsor information. If there's a phrase you want to hear on the next Topper Suggestion episode, send me your topic suggestions. If you had a good time listening to today's episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a five-star rating and review. It's the best way you can help me in the podcast out. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, produced, and hosted by me, Brisky. Until next time, Toppers, Keep those suggestions coming. Just a quick note, toppers, don't forget to go check out the Support the Podcast page on my website, turnafrazes.com. Although my sponsors don't change, Audible, Boss Boxes, and Amazon, sometimes the offers I have available to you do. So check it out often. Okay, no one likes ads, so let's end this one here.